Lord God, we just, we thank you. Thank you, God, that you, um, you don't let us go. You chase after us and you wait for us when we've, when we've run away, when we've um, gone away from your plans for us. You chase, you wait for us to come back to you. Thank you, Lord, that you are a gentleman, that you are our king, our saviour, our rescuer. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have a word for each of us today. And Lord, we pray that Andrew um, speaks from his heart, which is always chasing after you. So we can be confident knowing today that what Andrew says comes from your heart. And may you speak into our hearts, Lord, and may we follow you today. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to do a Bible reading from Exodus chapter 17. And um, don't ever be put off by weird, obscure parts of the Bible, hey. There's plenty of them. And, um, but what I heard someone say once was, you know, if you wanted to read something and get the true meaning out of it that was written in Japanese, the best way to read it is in Japanese, not English. Um, the Bible was actually written by the Holy Spirit. And so the best way to interpret it is by the Holy Spirit. Um, so I believe that totally. So we, we read what's on the surface, but we allow the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and revelation. And so I'm praying for that today, because I believe God has a significant word for us as a church through this passage, and individually, actually. Which, was it Corey? Yeah, which ties into Corey's testimony too, interestingly. Um, no such thing as coincidences, hey. Um, Exodus, Exodus 17, verse 8. Then Amalek and his people came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill, this is Moses speaking, with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the hilltop. Now when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he lowered his hand due to fatigue, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and he grew tired. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. Then Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So it was that his hands were steady until sunset. So Joshua overwhelmed and defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in the book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly wipe out the memory of Amalek. And Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. All right. See, obscure, isn't it? Why is that? It's been a, um, I don't know if you've been watching the news. I always encourage people not to watch the news. Um, but then sometimes I watch it too much myself. And in the last week or so, there's been lots of robberies. Have you noticed that? That's good if you haven't. Um and even through your Facebook page, I think Melissa noticed in Berkeley Vale, lots of people's cars were being broken into in Berkeley Vale. Um, and then in Brisbane, all kinds of horrible things happen up there um, with break-ins. And on the Gold Coast, and a friend of ours who actually yesterday was grieving the loss of their son who died a few years ago, um, got their car stolen. They go, what the heck? Um, 
But I think to bring it into a spiritual context, I, I, I want you to think about <coughs> the Bible tells us that the enemy, the thief, the devil, call him what you like, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not what he does, it's who he is. In other words, he can't help but do that. Just like God is love, God can't help but love us. It's who he is. The devil is a thief and a killer and a destroyer. Um, and I want us to think about, because this passage um, is all about, you've got to understand, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for, I think, 400 years. And then God set them free from being slaves in Egypt, right? They didn't know how to fight. So you remember the story, they get out of Egypt, they come to the Red Sea, they're blocked off, the Egyptians decide they don't want to let them go, and they come after them. And very interesting, God fought that battle for them. How interesting. So this one is the next battle, right? They're just chugging along through the desert, right? And, and note this, right? Sometimes when things turn to crap, it doesn't mean we're not in the center of God's will. Isn't that interesting? Because sometimes all the wheels fall off and go, oh, I must have missed God somewhere. No. These guys were following God. God led them into the desert. And next thing you know, they got these guys on their tail. The Amalek, Amalekites, I think they call them, right? And in Deuteronomy, it tells us this, because this is how the devil plays, right? Just if you haven't noticed. It says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming. This is out of Deuteronomy 25, 17, 18. Um, you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. That's what got God upset, actually, that you know what, if you're a Christian today, just take hope in, take comfort in, encouragement in, that if the devil tries to mess with you, God will mess him up. Does that make sense? You just need to have that kind of faith. I remember a time I was being attacked, you know? And I just remember, and the devil does, you know, some people do overreach. You ever met people that do overreach? You know, because you get heaps of resentments from them. You know, give them something and they just keep wanting more. And they've got to hear no, you know. And you've got to practice your nose with them. The devil does overreach. He did it at the cross. He thought he had Jesus just where he wanted him. He just overreached too far. And actually God got the victory that he wanted. And there was this time when I just felt the devil was coming in to, you know. When you're knocked down, I used to think when the devil knocks you down, um, he'll then leave you alone. No, he actually comes in for the kill. That's what we've got to take seriously. And just as I felt like the devil was going to come in and kick my head in, because I was already down, God came in and went, no, nah, enough, enough. And that's what we've got to remember if we feel like we're under attack. But we've got to realize that the devil doesn't play fair. He doesn't fight fair. He doesn't care. And so we need to be aware, see. Um, I remember someone teaching on Ephesians 6, and they said, some people think, oh, you know, I don't believe that we're in a battle. Uh, I believe that we're not meant to wrestle, we're just meant to nestle. <laughs> right? And that's lovely. But we're actually in a battle. And the question isn't, are we in a battle or not? The question is, are we winning or are we getting kicked around? Because we're always in a battle. I know there's times when the battle heats up and we kind of feel like we're fighting for our lives. But there's other times when, actually more dangerous times, when we're cruising along 
We're actually more susceptible to the enemy often because we forget to rely on God when life's cruisy. So I want to talk about how to win the battle. And remember, right, the Israelites were led out of Egypt, taken out of slavery, which is the symbolism, right, for us getting out of our sin and into the freedom people were talking about today. And um, they were going to the promised land, so they're heading to their inheritance. They're heading to everything good that God had for them, right? And so the picture for us today is that we're on a journey to God wants to save us, if he hasn't already, out of our sin, out of our slavery. And he's got us on a journey to our inheritance, which is sure heaven, but also a bunch of great stuff on the way. Does that make sense? And so the enemy is going to come behind and attack us in our weakest areas to try and stop us from receiving our inheritance, stop us receiving the blessings. Because you know the devil can't hurt God. You know that, right? God's too big, too big to fight the devil. He sends his angels to fight the devil. The whole yin-yang thing is a lie, just if you're wondering, right? God's too big to fight the devil. And so the only way God can hurt the devil is to hurt his people. Da-da! Look around, what's the news? What's the devil doing? Particularly the Jewish people and Christians. Have a look and you know, Google how many Christians are being martyred and persecuted around the world right now. So we need to be aware and on guard of where's the devil trying to attack me? What's he trying to steal? Okay. And where is he, where's he operating in life or trying to sneak in to steal stuff from you that's rightfully yours, by the way? that God has ordained for you to have. You know, I could start just with peace and joy and hope. They're rightfully yours if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our inheritance. And the enemy loves to steal that stuff. And we can stop him, praise God. So to win the battle, just got three points of how to win the battle from this passage. To win the battle, we need to focus on God. It's not a kind of no-brainer really, isn't it? But we don't tend to do that first. I don't always tend to do that first. I tend to focus on the problem and then my own brilliance of how to try to fix it, which usually doesn't work. It says here in verse 11, As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Um, I think it's fair to assume here that God told Moses what to do. It says Moses said, but, you know, the Bible tells us in other places that Moses talked with God like a man talks to his friend. Pretty amazing, right? So I'm pretty sure Moses got the plan from God. And he said, I'm going up the hill to hold up my hands. I don't know if you've come to church and see people holding up their hands. Are oh, they just stretching their arms? Like, what is that deal? Is they doing weird things. Is this like aerobics or, you know? What is that? Well, you know what? What? it meant in the Old Testament was they raised their hands in prayer. That's what it meant. So while his hands were raised, that was the way they prayed in those days. And so the symbolism was that when he stopped praying, they stopped winning the battle. When he started praying, they were winning the battle. Does that make sense? I also think there's a connection there. Sometimes I don't think it matters what you do as long as you're in God's presence and he has your focus. So maybe he's doing a bit of worship too. You know, if we get into the Word of God and read the Bible, if we spend time praying, listen to worship songs, then I think we're in God's presence. He has our focus 
and then he's, we're doing that part that Moses was doing that we need to do to win the battle. That makes sense. I heard recently, don't discard the message just because the messenger is not perfect. It's not bad, hey? How many times do you discard God's message because you've judged the messenger? Go through the Bible and find out how many flaky messengers there were. God just uses flaky people. You know why? Because he doesn't have any others. <laughs> we're all flaky. Turn to the person next to you and say, I love you, but you can be a bit flaky, right? It's just true. And if we just lower our expect, expectations of people, right, life will be a bit easier. So next time you sense, I had a guy, right, and I realized this recently. I've talked, to him, talked about him before. I'll just wait for him to come back. Pretty patient. I've got all day. Um, you heard me talk about a guy called Ray Kay, who was a very um, influential person in my life. It's only recently that I realized that he was only in my life for four years. How interesting is that? I met him when he was probably 52, and he died of a heart attack when he was 56. But those four years, God used that man to seriously impact my life for the better. Right? But... Ray Kay was one of those guys. He'd been in Pentecostal churches. And he'd say, I've got a word for you, Andy. Right? Now, here we go. But you know what? Probably three out of ten times he was on the money. So I was listening because it was worth hearing if one of those, it was one of those three times. Does that make sense? So don't throw out the message just because of the messenger. Can we get that in our spirits today? Because God wants to, sometimes he wants to get a message and he doesn't care sometimes who he uses. He just wants us to get the message. And the message was, Moses, you focus on me and Joshua and the fighting men go into battle. What is interesting, I've talked about this Israelites' first battle. They'd been slaves and that's all they knew. Then crossing the Red Sea, God fought for them. I talked about that. And having to do um, anything. But now God is saying, I'm still with you. I'm still involved, but this time you need to do something too. Before we are Christians, we are slaves to sin. We don't fight because we're not even sure we need to fight. But we get saved. When we get saved, come in a relationship with Jesus, especially in the first few months, God often fights many battles for us. Do you remember that when you're first a Christian? It's kind of like you're in the back of a limousine and everything was cruising. And then somewhere... Like six months, 12 months, six weeks, eight weeks down the track, it's like the limousine kicks you out. No offence, Gary, you get an old V-dub that actually hasn't been done up properly. <laughs> and you feel like, you know, someone who was a new Christian in our last church said to me, it was like, you know, when I first become a Christian, it's like cruising down the freeway. And then when the honeymoon period finishes, like driving slowly around the back streets of Belmain. Like just hard work. And so sometimes we think, oh, what's happened? It's like, no, God's just letting you grow up. And this is what he's doing with his people. He rescued them out of Egypt. He fought for them. And then said, hey, I actually want you to get involved. I'm not going to do it all for you. I'm going to do my part. But you need to do your part. And sometimes that's what we forget. We go, oh, God, do something. He says, I am. Can you do something too? Is that Okay. 
Um, Joyce Meyer puts it like this. We can't do his part and he won't do our part. So if you feel like you're stuck, just make sure you're doing your part. Because God's always faithful to do his part. Sometimes we're waiting for him to do something he's already doing. He's waiting for us to unlock that key that wins the battle. Some commentators say, oh, I said that too. Oh, let's just move on. I love this, right? The guy called Billy Sunday, he was a great baseballer in America, lived from um, 1862 to 1935, was Amer an American outfielder in um, baseball's National League and widely considered the most influential evangelist during the first two decades of the 20th century. He had this to say about prayer. He that is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. He, he's a guy who was very effective in his ministry. He said, he who is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. Friends, if you want to access the power of God, we've got to connect with him. We've got to allow, position ourselves to receive his power. And that's done through prayer. Well, certainly done through focusing on God. To win the battle, we need to know where the power comes from, and it's not from us. We need to use the weapons God has given us, and the most powerful weapon we have is our relationship with Jesus. So the first thing to do when we find ourselves in a battle is to focus on Jesus. Number two, to win the battle, we need to obey God's direction. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. The second part of the message from God to Moses through, through Moses to the people was to go and fight. Um, this was new for the Israelites, as we've talked about. They had to do their part. So too, we need to do our part, and every battle is different. And I think that's where we need to seek God. It's important that we seek God and hear from Him what our part is. And then we obey. When we obey, we'll see God work in us to bring about a victory. Now, think of this. Moses' part at that point in time, in that season, was to hold up his hands. Right? He was the leader. God used him. He had to hold up his hands. Aaron, his brother, part was to help him hold up his hands when he got tired. And her, which a lot of people think was his brother-in-law, Miriam's husband possibly, um, was there too. So they're a team, right? playing their part. Joshua's part was to lead the army and the men's part was to fight with Joshua um, in the battle. If any of those people hadn't done their part, then their victory may not have been won. I'm talking probably more corporately now. This is why I love team. You know what? Jesus was the son of God, right? And he had a team. So then maybe team's important. Do you think that? I'm not a big... Sorry, independence just isn't one of my values, probably never will be. Because I just think God's called us to be interdependent. Not codependent, but interdependent. Okay with relationship. Okay with expressing our needs to one another. Okay with relying on other people sometimes when we need them. Sure, I need to tie my own shoelaces. I'm old enough to do that. But there's other times when I need help, and it's okay to ask for that. Jesus did that with his disciples. There's times he asked them to do stuff. 
God has given us all gifts, and he expects us to discover them and develop them and use them for his glory. John Wesley wrote the following letter. John Wesley was the guy who started the Methodist Church, was a revivalist, saw amazing things happen. And from his deathbed, he wrote to William Wilberforce, you probably know that name, as a guy who was key in stopping slavery in England, to encourage him in his prolonged fight against slavery. So this was before he won the fight. John Wesley wrote to him and he said this, Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion, of England and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? God on. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. That's why I'm so passionate, right, about people finding what their gifts and passions are. Because like John Wesley said to William Wilberforce, if it's just a good idea, if you're just having a good idea that you should fight against slavery, you're not going to do it. But if this was a God idea, and God's called you to do it, and God's raised you up to do it, then nothing will be able to stop you. And you know what? That's why I think it's so important. And if sometimes, you know, and we've got to be discerning, because sometimes we find ourselves fighting against like a brick wall. And I think that sometimes we need to stop and say, God... Like you said, a wall I'm just not meant to knock down. And other times when you say, God, if this is a wall that I'm meant to knock down, give me your Holy Spirit explosives to blow it out of the way. And we actually need to be discerning because there's some things I'm just not gifted at. And it wouldn't even matter how much God blessed me, I would still only do an average job at them. But in the things that God's gifted me at, in the power of God's Spirit, so much more can be achieved. Um, so later this year, we'll be, or not too much later, we'll be running a thing called Network, network um, where we discover our gifts, passions, and abilities. Um, so keep your ear out for that. Even put it on your care card today. I'm interested in the network. Um, because the idea is that we learn how God's wired us up. A bit like what Corey was talking about. When you find your purpose and your God-given purpose, not only, I think, are you guaranteed success, um, but it brings a motivation um, to life um, that you just can't get anywhere else. It's not hard to get out of bed anymore because you think, man, I am on this earth for this purpose. Um, and it brings amazing motivation. So I want to ask you this morning, what's your part? Um, because we all have one. We all have a part to play. And also to think about what's your season because different seasons change, things change. So it was Joshua's season in this story to serve Moses and lead the army. But the day would come when Moses had died, and it would be Joshua's season to lead the nation. See that? So just because we discover what we're meant to be doing now in this season, doesn't mean it's, or what we, we knew last season, doesn't mean it's what we're meant to be doing this season. But I think the key is... Um, we're always called to do something. It's just working out what that something is and working with God to see what that is. 
All right, my last point. To win the battle, we need to regather around Jesus. Now, that's an interesting point. So how do you get that out of that? Well, let's have a look. Exodus 17, 15 says, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. Here was one of the places that God reveals himself to his people. God revealed himself to his people in the Old Testament through his name. Right? So here words like Jehovah Jireh, which God's saying, I am the God who provides for you. And while here, God is saying, I am Jehovah Nisi was the Hebrew word, which means I am the Lord, your banner. That's a weird. It's like, God, are you having a bad day today because you're calling yourself a banner? Like, what is that about? Like, seriously. What does he mean by this? In ancient times, the standard bearer or the flag bearer was a very important part of the military. Like they fought, right? In battles, they had swords and things and, and they're doing this thing. And if they got disorientated and scattered and losing the battle, the standard bearer stood there with sometimes just a stick and a bit of rag on it and it was a rallying point. Does that make sense? It was a point where they regathered and refocused. And this morning I want us to hear that Jesus is our banner and I believe we need to regather and refocus around him and we'll win the battle. I thought, you know, you might be a little bit more excited about that, but that's okay. I'm very excited about that. If you're focused on anything else but Jesus, you're going to be on the edge of this church floundering around. Because this year we're refocusing on Jesus and we're going to say it's all about him. It's not about the kids program. It's not even about the kids. It's not even about you. It's about him. It's not about me. It's not about any of the stuff we do. It's got to be about Jesus. If it's not about Jesus, we're just a cool country club or a weird country club. Probably weird, okay? But if it's about Jesus, then we're an army fighting a battle that we're going to win something. Does that make sense? And I think too long we've been playing church. And Long Jetty was never a church playing church. And the Salvation Army is not a church playing church. It's actually an army. That's the whole principle of it. I think it was a prophetic. God used William Booth to give a prophetic message to the church. Saying, hey church, you're not a bunch of pew warmers. You're actually a bunch of soldiers in a battle. You want to see our community change? then Jesus needs to be our rallying point. Because I don't know if you noticed, the government doesn't have the answers. They're trying. I'm not bagging them out, but they haven't worked it out yet. So how about we put Jesus at the center and see what he does. And if you look back through history to the William Wilberforces, they were guys who had Jesus at the center. They understood that the Lord was their banner. Another thing that means is that he was the Lord is our victory. The victory comes through him, and it only comes through him. How cool is that? Hey, he's our focus. I don't do this often. Okay. I do listen to worship music often. But I don't listen often to, I did grow up in the Salvation Army. Been in the Salvation Army my whole life. I did used to play a brass instrument called a cornet. But I don't often worship Jesus through listening to brass band music. 
because I've had enough of it in the first 20 years of my life. But this song came to my mind, right? And yesterday, as I listened to it, I got emotional. Not only am I listening to band music, but I'm getting emotional listening to band music. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> it's weird. But this was a song, right? And it stirred something in my spirit. And it says this, soldiers of our God arise. The day is drawing nearer. Shake the slumber from your eyes. The light is growing clearer. Sit no longer idly by while the heedless millions die. Lift the blood-stained banner high, who is Jesus, and take the field for Jesus. Hey, storm the forts of darkness, bring them down. Storm the forts of darkness, bring them down. Pull down the devil's kingdom wherever he has dominion. Storm the forts of darkness, bring them down. The second verse says, see the brazen hosts of hell. They were poetic, these guys, weren't they, back in the day? Their art and power employing, more than human tongue can tell, the blood-bought souls destroying. Hark from ruins, ghastly road. Victims groan beneath their load. Forward, O ye sons of God, and dare or die for Jesus. Hey? No wonder these guys were inspired. Yeah, William Booth thought he was going to take over the world. He probably got a bit ahead of himself. But he was on the right track because Jesus is going to take over the world, just if you haven't read that part of the book. Verse 3, warriors of the risen king, great army of salvation, spread his fame, his praises sing, and conquer every nation. See, here he goes. Settle down, William. Raise the glorious standard higher. So raise Jesus high. The Bible says if we lift him up, he will draw all men to himself. See, it's not about us. It's not about church. It's not about programs. It's about Jesus. And it has to be. Otherwise, we're going to look. We're just going to get our job done, basically. Raise a glorious standard higher. Work for victory, never tire. Forward march with blood, the blood of Jesus and fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And win the world for Jesus. Hey? I want you to think this morning about what's the enemy trying to steal from you? What's the enemy trying to steal from you? And maybe in the name of Jesus today, you just need to say, Enough! And the only way we have power of the enemy, we're not strong enough to fight the enemy. We didn't make it into the yin and yang. We're not even that powerful, right? But when we connect with Jesus in his power, we have power to fight the enemy. What's the enemy trying to steal from you? What's the enemy trying to steal from Long Jetty as a faith community? Interesting question. How are we going to let him do that? I want to finish with these, this passage. See where we go. Philippians 2. Just to give Jesus a real focus. Therefore, this is Paul speaking to Philippians. He says, Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement by being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit... 
If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing. There's a good word for our society today, eh? maybe for us today. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, don't do anything out of ego. Rather, in humility. Humility is just drawing focus to God and others. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests. There's another good word for our world. Hey, sometimes I just wonder how much of the world gets on us. You know? I want you to go home today, if you can, take some time. And think about how much of my thinking is biblical and how much of it do I get from my society. And you might be surprised. Because if we line up with the truth of this world, we cannot win the victory. But when we line up with the truth of the word, you will find victory in every area of your life. I guarantee it. I just guarantee it. I can guarantee it. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So this is Jesus, right? He's God. But who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, a lot of people, or a lot of things, or people, are trying to get your attention and say, come, follow me. But Jesus also says, come, follow me. And I don't know if you, you know, I think if you're over 16 or even younger, you might have tried following something other than Jesus. And I'd just say, how'd that work out for you? Because I did. And I nearly crashed and burned. But since I followed Jesus, you know, I look back and I think, man, I actually can't complain about the amazing things that God has brought me. I feel like, Nate, you pray these prayers and God just blows your expectation out of the water. It's like, well, I prayed for this and God gave me that. Amazing. Amazing. So I'm going to invite the band up and they're going to... Um, I just want to encourage you. Let's, you know what? The, first, the songs we do at the beginning of church are not to entertain you, just if you're wondering. They're to help us, a bit like Moses raising the, his hands, is to help us focus on Jesus. And so this time, if the music's helpful to help you focus on Jesus, then engage with it. If it's more helpful for you to close your eyes and pretend you're only one in the room, if that helps you focus on Jesus, do that. If grabbing the Bible on your phone... I haven't got any literal copies probably in the room. But if looking at the Bible during this time is helping you focus on Jesus, but whatever you need to do, if coming and kneeling at the cross or at the mercy seat, there's those timber things in the sides there, just places where you can kneel and pray or sit and pray. If that helps you focus on Jesus, 
I don't care what you do. If standing on your head helps you focus on Jesus, then stand on your head, right? As long as we spend this next five minutes shutting out all the distractions that the world throws at us and just focusing on Him through a prayer or whatever, just saying, Jesus, 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 and allowing Him to come and bring His peace. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, then say, Lord Jesus, I just want to give my life to you today. I just want to come to know you today. Please forgive me for running my life my way. I believe that you want to run my life your way. And actually, you're not a control freak. You give me freedom. I think if God's a control freak, He's not. The only way to get true freedom is to give our lives to God. And when He gets control, He actually gives the control back to us, which is amazing. Let's worship. Let's pray. Kneel, stand, come and do whatever you need to do. But let's give a 100% focus to Jesus just in these next few minutes.